Hello, everyone. Welcome to the year 2022. Holy cow. How did that happen? No wow. kidding, eh? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like I blinked and it's like, wow, it's been two years. I feel like we've, yeah, two years. It's just kind of come and gone. Of this, like, yeah. The, I'm trying to figure out the word to use for the only thing that comes to mind is the new normal, which yeah, I was just going to say like it's that. a new normal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't know. Anyways, here we are two years later. The world has radically changed in so many ways and continues to do. And that is just part of human or evolution period. Um, Absolutely. And Kathleen, I'm so, it's such an honor, first of all, to end the year with you in 2021, we ended with you and you are helping us embark on this new year, 2022. And I think it's such an important topic, um, health and fitness and what does that even mean to us? Mm -hmm. with this new year in mind, because I know, um, you know, historically new year's resolutions are a real big thing in January. We we tend to rush to the gym or we set these like really austere goals. Um, and they don't relate to fitness, but oftentimes I feel like they do. Um, so I want to dive in with that. I, I, I I have a specific question, but I also want to leave it open-ended to you, Kathleen, to talk about goals and goal setting, how to make that realistic in particular. I think what's important to me is making that lifestyle change to something that's healthier, not only healthier, but is it sustainable? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I just want to say thank you again for having me. Like I loved our conversation last time and this is just going to be a wonderful again. Um, and I want to say happy new year to everybody listening, whether you're listening to it in January or, you know, the following January, it's always a good time to, you know, put your spotlight towards your health and your wellness. Right. And I think one of the things I find really interesting about being in the health and wellness field is everyone, it's always often very polarized and especially with new year's resolutions, you, I get people phoning me and being like, okay, we want an article about like why new year's resolutions are amazing or why they're terrible or why. And I guess what I want everybody listening to sort of get is that I'm pretty agnostic about most things. It's more how you use them, right? So if you think that you can get an extra sort of like oomph from it being January, go for it. Use that extra oomph, but know that, you know, it's not going to be what sustains you. It's just like one one little bit of, you know, inspiration and you got to take inspiration wherever you can get it. So I don't think anything is sort of good or bad. I think mostly it's how we use it. So unfortunately, most people use, you know, the January 1st motivation to think like, oh, well, because I feel motivated now, I'm always going to feel motivated. And that's this cognitive distortion of present bias, right? It's like how we feel in the moment, we think we are always going to feel that way. And that's a key thing. It's like, it's great to feel motivated in this moment. But what you have to realize is that your future 6am self when you wake up is not going to feel as motivated, or you're going to go to work, and you're going to be get mad at your boss. And you're gonna be like, Oh, I just want to skip my work and go watch Netflix, or I want to go to the bar, or I want whatever. And you're going to think, oh, I should go work out. And then you think, no, I don't want it, right? So whatever moment you're in right now, if you're in a low motivation phase or if you're in a high motivation phase, which is, you know, a little bit more common for January, but some people actually get low. They're just like overwhelmed by the whole new start. And they're overwhelmed by the idea of like, well, you know, I've tried a new year's resolution for the last 20 years and it hasn't worked and I'm a failure and and that sort of negative spiral. So whatever, if you're feeling positive, you're feeling negative, what, my message to you is it almost doesn't matter because emotions are transient. They come, they go. And what matters is action. Um, and I think that it's so easy to get caught up in how we feel. And you know, as I said, use how you're feeling if it's a positive emotion, but otherwise just sort of say, okay, like what are the actions that I can take? Um, and there we go to your question of goal setting, because again, I think people always think, well, the goals are what are going to see me through. And I hate to tell you, it's sort of like, uh, here's the thing, people who succeed and people who fail mostly have the same goals. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to get fit, right? And so making the goal is a great first step, but it's not what makes you succeed. It's the action and it's the consistency and it's the plan. So so again, I'm not saying, you know, goals are bad or goals are good. What I'm saying is it's, you know, it can be a great part of your process, but just because you say I'm going to get fit doesn't mean it's going to happen. So you can have that concept of, okay, I want to get moving. I want 20, you know, 22 to be a year where I feel sort of proud at the end of it, but then you have to say, okay, 
as soon as this podcast is done, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to figure out how do I actually make that happen? Uh, and that's like, honest to God, that's like the biggest thing is taking a pause, taking a moment and stepping back and saying, regardless of the emotion that I feel at this moment, what are the steps I need to take today, tomorrow, and the next day? And that's really, um, I call it the WWWH of goal setting. And you can have both long-term goals and short-term goals, and they have to be realistic and they have to be based on you. You know, and you have to realize that however you're feeling in this moment um, is not going to change overnight, right? Like who you are has taken, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years of habit formation, right? So you're not going to be fit yesterday. It's not like you decide, oh, I want to be fit and it happens in a day, right? So you have to be sort of in it for the long term, but mostly you have to have a plan because, Otherwise, you know, life is busy and it, you know, you get swooped up in life and, and then all of a sudden a week's gone by and you haven't done the workout that you said you were going to do when you were really motivated. And then you feel like crap and then you kind of shame spiral out. And then, you know, the five workouts a week turn into two workouts a week, which turn into one workout a week. And then it turns into like, okay, well, next January I'll start again or my birthday I'll start again. Right. Um, so I don't know, maybe you want to comment on any of that. And then I think it would be interesting to actually get into what I mean by the WWWH of, of goal setting, because people are probably like, okay, well, those are, that's great letters, but what does that actually mean? <laughs> Who, what, when, or why? No. Yeah, exactly. Why? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a question. So, okay. Uh, and maybe you're going to go into this, but I think okay. that's probably the hardest part, like uh, the hardest part. And I'm, I'm referring to what is my plan and how do I know if it's realistic, if it's attainable, if it's sustainable, how do I set that plan? How do I take that action knowing that I can trust and believe in myself to be consistent, to show mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. in the high motivation and the low motivation mm -hmm. phases? Yeah. So, okay. So first let's go through the WWWH and then let's talk about that idea of what's realistic and how do I trust myself and all that stuff? Because I think that's a really wonderful question. Um, and a lot of trust comes from doing. So it's this sort of interesting, um, they feed each other. So it's not a, an A to B arrow. It's kind of an A to B, B to A, and it flips back and forth. So the chicken and the egg, and the more you do, the more trust you build and the more trust you build, the easier health is. So that it, that's both wonderful and also complicated thing about health because it's not like you put in one ginormous effort over one hour and then all of a sudden you're healthy and you never have to think about it again. So, but it does also mean in some ways that's nice. You, you never, that you, it is little baby steps, right? So that's both sort of comforting and also kind of frightening because it is the rest of your, that rest of your life, but it means that if you fall off a bit, you can get back on and it's this constant negotiation. Um, James Clear talks about the idea of the choices that you make being votes for your future self. Um, and he really um, emphasizes that, you know, to, to vote yourself in a healthier person, you don't have to get 100% of the votes, you just have to get, you know, 51%. So I think that's also a key thing is it's not about perfect, it's about slowly building better habits. Uh, but again, let's, let's get get into the details. So WWWH, how you build these new habits is you have to look at your life and you have to really, really with radical honesty about your age, your gender, your life realities, your financial realities, you know, all of your injury history, what's worked in the past, what's not worked. Um, you have to look at your life and you have to look at those things. So I think it's very easy to make a plan um, without sort of almost making a plan for some person that you knew 20 years ago, like a version of you that was 20 years ago, a version of you, a romanticized version of you 10 years ago, or a romanticized version of yourself now. So part of it is very just radical honesty of who you are and what your body can handle, right? So don't say I'm going to start running 10K five days a week if you know that two years ago you got injured doing that amount of running. Like maybe instead you have to step back and say I'm going to run two kilometers three days a week, or I'm going to walk, or, or I'm going to get do strength training to get strong for running, right? So part of it is when you do this process that we're going to talk about is you have to really sit and be honest with who you are, not who you want to be, like not your wish of who you are in this moment, because you cannot um, create your fitter future you if you don't start from where you are. So again, I'm not saying that you can't eventually run five days a week, 10K, and right? I'm not limiting your dreams. I'm not limiting your goals, 
but it, you have to be able to, in order to have like a GPS of your health in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you're starting from. Mm -hmm. So really know where you're starting from. And that includes how much time do you actually have to exercise? What do you need to work out at home? Do you need to get a fitness buddy? So okay, I keep getting, I get so excited about this topic and then I lose the, like my train of thought. So first W, what are you going to do? right? Are you going to walk? Are you going to run? Do you need to get an elliptical? Do you need to get a stationary bike? Um, the what can include questions like, um, what have caused me injuries in the past? Let's say you've, you've fought with plantar fasciitis your whole life. And so you know that impact activity is not as great for you. Maybe you need to invest in a bike. Maybe you know that working out at home is just totally not your thing. Then you have to get a gym membership. Maybe you know that you really need time away from your family. So it's going to be walks in nature. Like the what is very important because I think it's also the what is important one, because it allows you to put it in your schedule and say, okay, I'm going, this is my workout time. But once you know the what you can say, okay, well, if it's the what is going to be at the gym, then I also have to budget in travel time, right? If the what is going to be a walk in nature, I have to know what ravine I'm going to go to. And that connects to the where, uh, and this really connects to sitting down and like putting it in your schedule. And so the what, the when is really important. Are you going to work out in the morning? Are you going to work out at lunch? Are you going to work out after dinner? Like, because if you just say, I'm going to work out, like if you say, okay, my goal, my long-term goal is to get fit. And my short-term goal is to work out four days a week, right? Okay. Well, that's great. But again, first of all, long-term goal, get fit. What does that actually mean? So try to narrow it down a little bit more. Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to gain muscle? Do you want to be able to do a certain amount of push-ups? Do you want to play a sport? I love running. So my goals are always connected to staying fit and strong enough to run in injury free. Um, so looking at that long-term goal and then using that to bring it back and say, okay, if that's my long-term goal. My short-term goals have to support my long-term goals. And then my short-term goals have to be very concrete, concrete of when I'm going to do these things for many reasons. One, because analysis is paralysis and too many options take up too much. Like we all only have so much cognitive space. So like my dad, for example, was teasing me because I go to bed and I asked him, he asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I said, I wanted these shorts that I wear underneath my pajamas. So when I wake up in the morning, I just take my pajamas off and I'm in my gym clothes. And he was laughing at me. And I said, dad, you don't understand. If I wake up in the morning and I have to think, oh my God, like, what am I going to do for my workout? And what am I going to wear? I won't do it. So before I go to bed at night, I have my exercise clothes on and I know the workout I'm going to do the next morning. So when I wake up, I just decrease the challenge to the workout as much as possible. I just make it as easy as possible. So that's why knowing what you're going to do, where you're going to do it, um, when you're going to do it is so important. And it leads to the how, and that H is almost the most important thing because that's the accommodations you have to make. And, you know, some people do get into blocking things off in their calendar. So they get that far, but what they don't get as far as is figuring out how they're actually going to safeguard that time. Right. Because let's say you say, well, I'm going to work out after after work, but you have a couple kids and then, you know, your work finishes and you're like, oh, crap, but I have to make dinner and I have to go pick up the kids and I have to do this. I have to drive them to soccer. So then all of a sudden your workout time is just gone. Um, so when you can really be detailed and you can say, OK, interesting, if I want to, let's say I decide I'm going to walk home from work three days a week. So then maybe on those three days. Um, your husband or your wife has to go get the kids or you say, okay, you talk to your partner and you say, I'm going to, can I work out in the morning? So then you are responsible for like lunches and getting the kids up. And then you, then I will take the kids after work and you can work out in the evening, whatever it is. Or maybe it's that you decide you have to work out at work. Um, and then you have to block it off like for lunch hour walks. And then maybe you get a walking buddy, right? So the how can be so many, that bucket really encompasses everything from getting, you know, a fitness app, uh, joining a fitness challenge. Like the how is just like, what are the tools and the tricks and the motivational strategies and the things that you need to actually make it happen? Um, but in order to do that, WWWH, that's where that radical honesty of who you are, what you need, how much time you actually have. Because if you say to yourself, well, I'm going to work out two days, uh, two hours every single day. And you have, you know, multiple children, a full-time job, and you're already scrounging to get, you know, six hours of sleep. Like, where is that two hours going to come from? We all only have a certain amount of hours in the day, and we all only have a certain amount of emotional and cognitive energy. And time is a very valuable resource, and energy is a valuable resource. So, you know, part of it is just figuring out how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, and blocking it all off as much as possible in advance.
And then knowing like, it's not gonna be perfect because nothing is perfect. But you know, if you plan for, you know, five days a week and you get four, that's much, much, much better than doing planning for seven and getting zero or seven and getting two, you know, and the day that you can't do the what's planned, you know, the idea is that you sort of like reroute a little bit and find a different uh, solution. So that was a lot of information. Um, anything land for you? And do you think I answered the question that you asked me about, about long and short-term goals and, and just realistic? I think knowing who you are is the biggest thing and knowing the difference between aspirational goals and realistic goals and, and, um, and, you know, appreciating that it's all well and good to have a dream and sort of, it's not that I'm saying never sort of dream above what's possible, but know that, you know, if you are dreaming above what's possible, like maybe that's something that you're dreaming for in a couple of years and you have to build towards it, but it's very frustrating to say, I'm going to do, you know, this much, I'm going to do, you know, seven days if it's just, you know, not possible. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I love this. This is, I love the, I love acronyms in general. So I've just, um, you know. you know what I learned the other day? Oh my God, what? sorry. I'm, I have to share this because okay. I did not know this. So one of the things I love about listening to podcasts is like learning new words and new terms. And I was listening, I don't even remember what it was. Oh, it was a Tim Ferriss podcast. It was like a five hour thing all on like investing and like Ethereum and like Bitcoin. And I literally understood like none of it, except for I learned a new term. So you said you like acronyms. I do. Backronym, a backronym. Basically it's, which I, so, you know, have you heard the idea of like fear being like fake? everything and rise. So a backronym is where you take a word that we already have, and then we make it into an acronym, basically. So it's like, you know, like, I was just like, I never knew that. And I was like, thank God I listened to this five hour podcast. I don't understand <laughs> anything, but I learned that one thing. <laughs> Better uh, listening. If you're afraid, you yeah. just think, okay, well, the backronym of fear is and fear just means you face everything and you rise and you get stronger through feeling that fear. Ah, oh, facing that challenging. You rise. I love yeah. that. Isn't that cool? And that's a backronym because it's a word that already existed. And then we work backwards and we give it a, like a giving it a catchy meaning. Giving. Oh. Isn't that cool? I never yeah. do that. Well, I, yes. And I love Tim. I love listening to Tim Ferriss too. I do yes. love that long format interview. Total I side really note. do. Yes. I do. <laughs> Yeah, we just went on this. I really, really, really. Do. Okay, so another really cool thing. Um, is total side note. Then we'll get it back to our conversation. But I actually think that this connects. Um, I was listening to him, Alicia, uh, Aisha Tyler interview, and she was saying that one of the cool things about being a comedian is that anything bad that happens is just a funny story that you tell on stage. And I think that people listening, like, they're like, "Well, why are you talking about that with fitness?" But I actually think that's really important because I think that it's so easy for us to shame spiral about health and wellness. And we do one thing that we don't think is perfect, or we do one thing that we kind of think is embarrassing, or we go to a class and, you know, you try a Zumba class and you feel really awkward and you're like, Oh, I can't go back. I feel really awkward. Yeah. But if you can think of it, like, you know, you're a comedian and everything you try, first of all, it's just data, right? If you try a workout and you don't love it, like the workout wasn't wasted. You still moved your body. You just learned something you didn't love. Yeah. Um, but more than that, maybe you just need to practice it more. And maybe you can just lean into being a little bit awkward because, you know, none of us were born knowing how to walk. You have to learn things like skill is basically just an acquisition period. Right. Um, and I would just love it if people were like, they go for a run and they suck at it. They're like, yes, I sucked at it. This is a really good story for the next cocktail party I go to. I'm going to tell this story. It's like, we're all comedians looking for things to talk about. And so, you know, you're at a cocktail party and then you're just like, yeah. So I tried these 10 workouts and I sucked at all of them. And like, it was amazing. I like tripped over my feet and I fell on my face and like, everyone's like, what? But like, how cool would it be? if fitness and health were just fun stories that we could tell instead of things that were like, Oh God, I suck at this or I'm bad at this, or I failed at this, or yet again, I couldn't complete this. Right. I just think it, it would all be so much more fun and we'd stick with it. If it, if it was more of a growth mindset, if it was more of a fun challenge, if it was more of a, like, I'm looking for a funny story to tell. Yeah. So, anyway, well, that back does, to our topic. <laughs> that actually ties back into the, my follow-up question, which was okay. going to be, but I think you answered it. It was going to be about how you build trust with yourself, the feedback, mm. trying and building trust and trying and failing and trying and failing mm. um, and feeling like, God, you're just not making any progress because you can't trust yourself to show up. But yeah. I think this is a good reminder of 
every story can have its own perspective spin on it. Every mm-hmm. situation or experience can have its own perspective spin. So it, it really does become a matter of experience and perspective and how you, what that narrative is inside of your head and how you talk to yourself and how you tell that story to others. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. That. Well, yeah, I'm a big believer in, in growth mindset, the Carol mm-hmm. Dweck idea. And so, you know, I talk about it with my clients and in my book, I, the Kathleen cycle of, of learning, which is basically just a growth mindset. Like you act and then that action gives you data and then you apply that data back into the feedback loop and then you act again. And so you know, and that cycle involves a lot of self-compassion as well of just sort of saying like, you know, I'm working and I'm doing my best. And I think, what do I think? I think a part of it is just really embracing that it's not a short-term thing. It is what you said at the beginning, this is a lifestyle. Um, And I think that when, if we want it all to be figured out in a week, that definitely sets us up for failure. So, you know, it is a process of living and learning and every action that you take really does give you data about what works and what doesn't, you know, maybe, you know, you decide to wake up and do your workouts in the morning. And then, you know, you have a couple of days where that just doesn't work. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe my workouts have to be at lunch instead, you know? And like, so instead of thinking that I didn't get up in the morning and that was a failure, then you say, okay, well, um, I, it's data that this is just because of my life realities right now with my children or whatever, this is just not how it's going to work. Or maybe you decide instead that it's not your life realities. It's that you're drinking coffee too late in the day, the day before. So then you're going to bed too late. So then you can't get up. So it's again, like it's stepping back. And instead of when you miss a workout in the morning, instead of sort of shaming yourself being like, okay, I just have to take this data and I have to apply it into, into my life and into where I'm going. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big thing, stepping back, not shaming yourself. And I get, I think it goes back to sort of what I was talking about in the, in the beginning about not letting your emotions dictate your behavior. Like I am very, very, um, pro feeling and feeling the feelings, but I just really try to get everybody to appreciate that just because you feel a feeling doesn't mean you have to act on the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So you can feel really frustrated at yourself for missing a workout, but that doesn't mean you have to, you have to spiral the frustration into overeating or skipping another workout. You can be really mad at your boss. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you have to let that emotion um, convince you that you need to miss a workout, right? You can like, so you can feel like two people can feel the same emotion, let's say frustrated with the boss. And one person can say, okay, well, that means I deserve to go home and watch a bunch of Netflix and eat ice cream. Or the other person can say, well, I'm really frustrated. You know, what's going to make me feel less frustrated if I go to a boxing class or if I go for a walk or, you know, if I'm really sad, um, maybe what I need to do is phone a friend. So feel all those feelings, feel, you know, annoyed at yourself for missing the workout in the morning, but then step back and say, okay, doesn't matter what I'm feeling. That feeling is just data, right? And the feeling is oh, I'm feeling frustrated. Okay. So that shows me that I value that workout and I missed it. So then how do I make sure that I don't miss it again next time? And that's where that feedback loop steps back. And that's where that sort of witnessing your own, your own choices and your own emotions um, is really important. And um, just taking a pause, right? So you feel the feels and just allow yourself to feel them and then give yourself 30 seconds or five minutes or 10 minutes before you sort of, you act, right? So having, so you're not quite as impulsive about allowing the feelings to dictate your actions. Um, another podcast I really like, Tom Bilyeu, Impact Theory, I'm going to paraphrase, um, but he always says the idea of the most important thing in health is not letting your short-term emotions derail your long-term goals. And I do actually think that's almost, I don't know if it's not the most important part of health, but it's basically one of the top five most important things because we all know pretty much what we need to do for our health, you know, sleep more, drink more water, eat more vegetables, exercise. And pretty much what happens is our short-term emotions, we, you know, they sort of hijack our body. And then we end up doing things that doesn't really create that fitter future self that we, that we want. Um, so I, I think that this sort of ties nicely into the idea of journaling, because I do think that one of the ways you build, build self-trust is learning to note things that you do that really do serve your health. And I think that's sort of an interesting thing is that a lot of people are really good at, um, 
you know, they make one sort of less than ideal choice in the day, and then they allow that less than ideal choice to snowball into 10 more less than ideal choices. But if they could step back when they make that less than ideal choice, right, and say, okay, yeah, that choice wasn't great, but let's look at the 10 things that I did do well. And that could often, you know, um, just have that slight counterbalance. Uh, and then you're not as likely to spiral. So one of the journals I really like is just at the end of the day, making a list of the things that you did that you're proud of and how you might reproduce those choices. And then the things that you did that maybe weren't your best choices um, and how can you eliminate those or soften those or make them less. Um, and, you know, I think people often think of journaling as just like writing down exactly what you eat and how you exercise. And that's one way to journal. Um, I think journaling is really important for awareness because with awareness brings choice. And, you know, I think most of us sort of live in this haze of life and life sort of happens to us versus us being the architect of our life and our choices. And that's why, you know, what we talked about earlier, the scheduling and the figuring out the WWWH and doing that sort of preemptive analysis and what could go wrong and what's gone wrong in the past. And how do I create a plan that works for me? Like all of that is just awareness. And um, often, the journal sort of really complements the awareness that you need to set the programming to set the schedule because you can't really set a realistic schedule if you're not aware of the choices that you're making. So um, journaling can be a great way to build trust and a great way to really do that radical accountability of what you're actually doing uh, versus what you think you're doing versus your romanticized version of what you're doing, your romanticized version of the past, um, so that we can design a life that we want and design habits versus letting habits by create be created by default, yeah. uh, which is often what happens, right? Like life is just busy and, you know, we walk more pre-pandemic because we had to walk to the subway and then pandemic hit and then we were stuck at home and we didn't walk as much. And, you know, there are ways that you can, that's just one example of like sort of life dictating your walking habit, right? So that's where we have to be sort of step back and sort of say, okay, like, what are the habits that I'm doing? What are the habits that I want? Um, I don't know. I have, I have a number of different journaling things that I can go into, but I thought, why don't, is there any of that sort of lands with you particularly? Oh yeah. I mean, I think journaling practice is so, so good and so helpful. And it's re related to where, how this is landing with me. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you specifically, because all of this information, all of these tips and tricks and tools that we're talking about are, it's not just related to health and fitness, of course, right? But like any habit you want to set. And I, you, you said this already, Kathleen, but I just want to emphasize yeah. this point. It's like, what habits, what do we want to bring into our life? What do we want to accomplish? How do we set those clear goals? And I tell you, I think it's so interesting as I'm listening to you talk how I can totally empathize with that person who's like, oh, I just don't know how to figure out how to get myself started on this. And it just feels do like something I'm right now. Right. <laughs> but like but I, literally as yeah. they're listening to the podcast, what they need to say is like, if this is the moment we have control over. So instead mm -hmm. of sitting and listening to the podcast, get up, walk around, go get yourself a glass of water. Like it is so easy to put off until tomorrow, put off until January 1st, put off until January 15th, put off until Monday. And yeah. you just have to stop putting off for tomorrow what you can do today. It doesn't have to be perfect. The week doesn't have to be perfect. The day doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to say, I literally cannot create any fitter version of me if I do not act now. And we get so caught up in our head of like, we need the perfect, we need this. We get so analysis paralysis. It gets so all consuming. It's like, where do I start? What do I do? Yeah. And it's like, that's all great. It's so great to sit down and do the schedule and all that stuff. But at the same time, the key is in every moment, make the best possible decision that you can. And that doesn't mean perfect because perfect doesn't exist. But literally, if you're sitting on the sofa right now, listening to this, get up, do a couple of high knees, walk around, go get a glass of water, get 300 steps and then sit down again and then listen or go outside and do a walk, right? Like it's, 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 it's yes, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And I totally get that, but, but it's, we, we make it much, much harder than it needs to be. Um, because we, yeah, I just, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I'm well, like, yeah, it's just, just, because it's so right, hard. Though. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. Anymore. Well, cause I remember when I wasn't fit, like when I was a kid, it was yeah. impossible to make me move. Right. Like we talked about this on the last podcast that I have sort of two iterations of Kathleen. I have the, you know, first per part of my life where you couldn't get me off the sofa. I was unhappy. I was awkward. I was overweight. And then you have this version of me that 
I love, you know, moving and I, I, I can't, I can hardly not sit still. And, and I think it's easy for people listening to be like, oh, well, it's so easy for Kathleen. Like it comes so naturally. But the thing is, is it doesn't, it's just that I've spent <laughs> 20 years making it come more naturally. Yeah. Um, and your comment about habit formation, I'm not sure if we talked about this in the last podcast, but it's worth repeating anyway. The key to remember about habits is once you have them, they are pretty unconscious. Like they just happen and they feel very easy. But in order to make them easy, you first have to make them conscious. So that's when people are listening and they think, oh my God, I'm never going to be healthy. I'm never, they just have to think, okay, you've taken many years to develop the thought process, the movement habits, the eating habits, the taste buds that you have now, and it's not going to happen overnight, but you have to be very intentional because by being intentional for a month to six months, that in intentionality then leads to unintentionality. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I mean? Like the hit, like habituals are habits are habitual. And in order to make something habitual, you have to do it over and over and over again. Um, so you have to give yourself time. Uh, it's, it's time it's time to screw up time to get back on the horse course, correct quickly. Um, and I think it's a mindset switch of, this is not a finite game. This is an infinite game. So James Cars, I think is his name. He wrote the book, Finite and Infinite Games. And if you think about that with health, finite games are games that have very strict rules and they have an ending, right? And that's the problem is most people do finite rules. They do like a boot camp that's six weeks or they get, you know, lose weight for their wedding. And that's all well and good. But when you play a finite game, as soon as you win, you stop. And that's what happens is people boom and bust. They get their finite goal, you know, and then they stop. And my suggestion is it has to be looked at as an infinite game. This is a game that goes your problem of privilege of being alive. It's a lifestyle. Um, and you can have smaller finite goals within the infinite game, but it's, but it cannot be looked at as something that you're trying to win because once you win, you stop. Mm -hmm. And I want everybody listening to continue until like on their problem of privilege of health until they die. Right? Like this is something that we have forever that we're always working for and at and you know, struggling for. Oh, that's so good. I love that. <laughs> I, so I kind of want to ask a personal question because I'm a fellow runner and you mentioned okay. in injury management and you, okay. you said something really key to me, um, keeping myself strong and injury free so that I can run. I think okay. said, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I know you I'm, I'm <laughs> impressed that you were listening to my ramblings. So like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I, I said specifically, and this is, sorry guys, like I'm a runner. I've, I've run just a couple of marathons. I've done a few halves. I've like done a, a handful of small races, but I keep injuring myself yeah. or, and, or mm -hmm. I have this mindset, right? Like it's, there's a lot to do with mindset of that. It's painful and it, it hurts my knees. It hurts my, mm -hmm. knee, which is a real thing, right? Like mm -hmm. that's not untrue, but you know, lucky for me, I guess I have the privilege of having formed this habit. And every week without fail, I get up and I go out and I do my runs. I yeah. only run three to four times a week for five to eight miles and whether or not it hurts or it's raining or it's snowing or it's sunny and beautiful, I do it. And I keep feeling like, when is it going to feel better? <laughs> and how can I do this? you know, throughout my life because I do love it. And how do I keep myself strong and let myself run into my eighties if I wanted to? So ama amazing, amazing questions. Um, for, first of all, I like, I have so many things to respond. First of all, I love, isn't it cool that as human beings, we can love things that are hard. I think that that's one of the most awesome, you know, things, you know, like Victor Frankl talks about it in Man's Search for Meaning about like sort of purpose and purpose-driven life and struggle and is finding struggles that have meaning to you, you know, that we don't do very well as humans when we're struggling for something that has no significance for us. But if it means a lot to us, hard is not bad. Hard is um, fulfilling, you know? And um, anyway, I just think that that's a very, I, I often, I think about that a lot actually with running and just some of the things that I really enjoy in life is it's sort of, it, it is really challenging. And that's part of part of what's kind of cool about it is I put a lot of identity and meaning in something that's hard. And then I get a lot of satisfaction from that challenge. Um, anyway, that's sort of a side note, but um, so one of my taglines that I use a lot with clients is do not run to get into shape, 
you get into shape to run. So I have some articles, I'll send you them. You can put them in the show notes just about this, but running is really hard on the body. And that's not me saying it's negative, that it's just a a fact. And this is, and it's literally like running is my joy. It's my bliss. So I'm just saying that every time you run and you land on one leg, your one leg has to, excuse me, dissipate up to six times your body weight. So you have to be very strong and biomechanically fit in order to dissipate that weight. And if you don't, right, if you don't have the biomechanics, if you don't have the orthokinematic ability to land and not have your ankle cave in, to not pronate through your, for your knee, to not internally rotate your thigh, to not arch your back, to not like, to not lean over, then over time, the repetitive nature of running can cause you injuries. And again, that's not me saying you shouldn't do it. That's me saying that people need to be very, very intentional about their running. Um, and you have to be strong enough to run. So you need um, it's high impact activity. So you need to make sure you're cross training. You need to bike or swim or use the elliptical. Um, and you need to progress gradually and allow your body to adapt. So the body is amazing at adapting to stimulus and getting stronger, right? That's like weights. Um, you know, you lift first, you lift five pound weights and that's really hard. And then you lift eight pound weights and then you lift 10 pounds weights. Right. Um, and it's what's kind of really cool about the body is that as long as we're within our like Goldilocks threshold of stimulus, we get stronger. So if things are too easy, we get weaker. If things are too hard. We get weaker. Like we get injured. And if things are right in that Goldilocks threshold, we get stronger. And so if, again, sometimes it's just easier to think about it with weights. If you went into the gym and you'd never lifted weights and you did 500 pounds, you would break your back. Like if you tried to do a 500 pound squat, right. But if you sat on the sofa and didn't lift any weights, or if you went and did like just lifting, um, like the air, you know, you might not get stronger. It might not be enough of a stimulus. So it's that finding that Goldilocks of lifting. Maybe you start with three pounds. And the problem with running is for, for whatever reason, we think about that with weights that sort of makes a little bit more sense. Like you can't just go and lift 500 pounds, but the equivalent of running is trying to just go and run a 5k. And that's what so many people do. They've never run before. They haven't run for five years. And they're like, my goal, it's January. I'm going to run five days a week for seven days, uh, five days a week, seven kilometers or whatever. And then three days in, they get injured and they come to me and, you know, they're all annoyed. And I'm like, well, you didn't earn the right to run. Like you can't just go it, and, you know, do 10 squats with 500 pounds, just like you can't just go and run 7K. Like it's hard on your body. It's not bad, but that is above your Goldilocks threshold. So, you know, instead, maybe you needed to start with three days a week with two days rest in between of three minutes of jogging one minute of walking, right? Maybe you do that for 20 minutes. You do squats, you do lunges, you do bridges, you do planks, you do all the things that make you strong and you pepper in some yoga and some flexibility. Um, so you have to have all of the pillars. So, you know, the three pillars would be sort of like the idea of flexibility, mobility would be one, strength would be one, cardio would be one. And you need to have all of those three in that balanced approach. Um, and you just have to realize that anything like really anything new you shouldn't do every day except for maybe walking but even that like if you're doing really high into if you're not used to walking and you go out and do like you know an hour walk every day really intense in hills that's still a lot so you know depending on where your fitness is right now uh you just have to again go back to that like rattle radical honesty about where you are and making it really realistic mm -hmm. um but just knowing that if running is your goal it is sort of one of the hardest things you can make yourself do hard just on the, like the forces that are on your body and not, and again, it's not bad. Like there's lots of, there was actually a really famous study where they took about a bunch of long-term runners and they looked at their knees and they didn't have any like degeneration in their knee. Like that was um, more, um, disproportionate to other people of their age in the general general community. So it's not like I'm saying that running equals bad knees. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is running without proper biomechanics, without proper strength, and without proper progression um, will lead to injury because you just, your body is not strong enough to um, hold the demands of the sport. Um, and then, you know, connected to your question of this, does this ever get easier or better? Or I forget exactly how you said it. I would again, circle back to sort of what we started with. And we, we have this thing in fitness where we either, it's like, it's like, it's black or white. It's either easy or it's hard. And like, that's just not how it works. It is easier than for when you started, because when you started, you wouldn't have been able to do seven kilometers, right? So if you went and did what you did when you very first started before you'd ever run before, maybe you went out and you did two kilometers and that was really hard. If you tried to do that now, that would be easy, 
So it's all relative to what you're doing. So you could make your run easier by doing something that you did 10 years ago. And you'd be like, oh, this is easier. Like, you know, and then you go to what you do now and you're like, oh, this is harder. So, you know, it's very much on a continuum and you get sort of better at, at um, what you used to be able to do, but we always make things harder. So it doesn't necessarily feel easier, but you are stronger and you are better at least I would assume you are, because if you've done marathons, then you would have started, you know, when you started running, you definitely weren't running a marathon distance. So I think seeing little bits of progress is important um, and making sure that we really get out of that, like that binary of either like I'm good or I'm bad, or it's easy or it's hard um, and seeing progress. Um, and then I guess I would say, if you're always doing the same, um, like seven or eight K or whatever you just said that you're doing, um, you know, I would ask you, are you doing hills? Are you doing intervals? Are you taking days off? How, like what, you know, there's different ways to modulate the training. Um, so to get, you know, like intervals is a great way to make base pace way e feel easier, right? Because if you do an interval at a higher speed, then when you come back to your base pace, that does feel relatively easier. So, you know, if you were a client, we'd go through sort of how you were running. Um, but I think for people listening, the general takeaway is, um, progress slowly, allow your body to adapt um, and make sure you're strong enough to run. So, you know, stand on one leg and see, are you toppling over? Do you, Cause if you don't have the balance to stand on one leg while you're just standing still, right? If you, your knee caves in, like look in a mirror, stand on one leg and see what happens. Do your shoulders go over? Do you wrote, you know, do you rotate? And if that's happening, standing on one leg without even moving, you know, what's happening with the re repetition of that foot landing on the ground over and over and over again, right? So if when you stand on your right leg, for example, you lean, then when you're running, every time you stand on your right leg, you're kind of doing this, which is torquing through your spine and through your hips. And it's the re repetition of over and over and over again. So it might be worth, you know, getting an, you know, an analysis of, um, from, you know, a professional or something like that for people who are listening. Yeah. Great answers. I love that. <laughs> And I do want to dive a little bit more into injury management on the subject of this is something that kind of last year came into my awareness and it's this kind of controversy over. Hey, icing. I love controversy. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Heat. So I okay. an injury versus heating an injury. So I'm sure you've heard the acronym rice rest. Yes. Ice compress, mm -hmm. elevate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I believe this is what I heard from a doctor that I was seeing for my knees. I have crepitus mm -hmm. in my knees. And, um, he was, he was telling me that the, the guy who created that acronym, speaking of mm -hmm. acronyms, <laughs> wrote a follow-up article to this rice idea, debunking it as harmful to mm -hmm. injuries and now is promoting heating injuries. He yeah. And I get the theory behind both. Like I get mm -hmm. the, the, idea behind why you would put ice on something I get the idea mm -hmm. behind why you would put heat on something you've injured so what are, what are your thoughts on this yeah so oh my goodness I have so many things to say I think I mean in, in general I think that if you're injured the most important thing is talk to a professional and because it really is going to depend on what's going on in your body and what your injury is um, and depending on what it is like honestly neither might be fine and just you might want some like gentle range of motion stuff right um I don't even know where to start with this answer I think the biggest thing is is look talk to a health professional and see what's going on it, heat tends to be really great if it's a muscle pull like a muscle tightness issue like if you've done like reach for something and then like you've tightened up or you go to fall here's a better example and you go to fall and you don't quite fall and all of your muscles tense because you're it's like saving yourself from falling then that's a place where like heating bath just allows your nervous system to calm down um there is a lot of controversy with the ice right now um with inflammation are we should we be wanting to stop inflammation is it the natural healing process um also if you with icing does it stop like does it impede the like vasoconstriction and vasodilation of that area getting blood flow to it um but then there's also the really interesting um science to do with pain, pain science, basically in ice. And the idea being that temperature affects your pain fibers. So because pain is an output from the brain and it's sort of modulated by like, you feel pain, not necessarily 
from the tissues. Like you feel pain, the pain is an experience, right? So think about like, if you're going across the street, you roll your ankle and you're in pain, but then you see a bus coming from you, then your brain can override the, the information from the tissues and say, oh, actually you need to run right now. You're not in pain. So pain is this really interesting thing where it's like information coming up from the body and then it decides and then pushes information down and tells you how you're feeling, right? Of all this, all these different parts of the brain. There's not one pain place in the brain. It's like many different things. It's connected to emotions and histories from your family and blah, blah, blah. So it's very complicated. But what's cool about the temperature is it modulates the input going up to the brain. So although ice is being, um, there is some debate about whether you have, you put ice on directly after for the like tissue healing in pain science, what they would say is you put ice on because it actually changes the input going to the brain. And sometimes that's all that's needed. And then you can actually just like not be in pain for a day and you stop feeling it. And then you just go and it'll allow you to move more normally. So again, it all depends on what stage of healing you're at. Um, are you, and um, is it muscular? Is it more joint? Um, yeah. So it's, it's really interesting, um, very interesting research right now. Um, but finding ways to stay also active when you are like, I think one of the things that I notice with my clients is when they're injured, it can be a very um, negative cycle for them. So it's like, oh, I hurt my shoulder. This is, you know, a couple of weeks ago, one of my clients hurt her shoulder and then she just like wanted to stop doing everything. And one of the things I was saying to her, that's really important is like, when you're injured, it's easy to feel a lack of control. So what is really important to say is, okay, what can I do for this injury, the shoulder in her case, like what physio can I do? Um, and then what else can I do for the rest of my body? Because it's so easy to let an injury sort of throw you off course, and then you don't move for like a month. And then you have all these compound issues. Um, it's not just the injury. It's also like, well, I've been eating badly and I have been walking and I haven't been. So, you know, if, if people listening are like, oh yeah, I have, you know, sort of creaky knees or I have, I just fell and I hurt my shoulder. Then it's really important to be like, okay, what amount of activity, like what other parts of my body can I use? And uh, how do I say this? How do I find that middle ground of doing enough that actually makes me stronger? Because a lot of injuries actually, you know, really specific physio stuff for like, if you have bad knees, like for your quads, for your calves, like all that stuff, like activity is really needed. So how do I find the balance of doing enough that's going to aid me getting better but not doing so much that I'm, that I'm going to injure myself more. So and it's a kind of complicated soup of a lot of emotional stuff, finding ways to be in control. Um, but I think, and, and finding ways to stay moving so that you don't kind of lose your mind because it's so easy to, to not. Um, and I think I want to circle this back to, I feel like um, to journaling again, because um, I think this is a funny segue, but again, I think that we often get caught up in, we overestimate sort of the, healthy things we do and we underestimate the less than healthy things that we do. And we, we often, um, and injuring injuries as a time when we often do this, right. Where we think, well, I exercise five days a week and I don't eat very many sweets and then you get injured and then you're not, you can't really exercise as much. And then, but you still have this concept that you are exercising more. And then, you know, and the treat that you used to have once a week becomes, you know, once or a couple of times a day, cause you're in pain, you're not moving. So, and then again, it just, that's not negative sort of spiral. So I really encourage people always, but specifically, you know, if you're in pain or you have an injury, use that opportunity to really find things that you can have control over. And that one of those pieces is, is journaling so that you don't compound the problem. Um, and if you're not, injured either way use some type of journaling for writing down you know even if you just did a week where you wrote down what you ate and your exercise and you'll be able to see okay interesting I think I do these things and those are my aspirational goals but that's not really what I do because again like to go back to that frustrating piece right like so often we're frustrated about our health because we feel like we have all these goals and we feel like we should be moving forward. And we should be progressing. Um, and there's all these shoulds. And then we get disheartened if we get injured or if we don't lose the weight we think we should be losing, or, you know, we're not gaining the muscle strength that we should be or, or whatever it is. But then when you actually journal and you look, oh, okay, interesting. I said, I was going to work out five days that week, but I only worked out once. I said, I'm having only one treat a week, but I'm actually having two treats a day. Oh, I not just putting like one tablespoon of cream in my coffee. I'm actually putting two tablespoons that I'm having four cups of coffee a day. That's much more cream than I thought. Like all these little things 
um, then can allow you to step back and be like, oh, I'm not reaching my goals. But that means because I'm not actually putting in the appropriate work to be to reach my goals. Yeah. Oh, so much good stuff. I, I know. Ask you more questions. Though, I know. I know. Climbing close to the end so of our hour. So many things we could talk about. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, should we schedule round three? <laughs> <laughs> round 75. Um, well, can, can I end maybe with the topic of just self-sabotage? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, unless you had, a, I, I don't know, unless you had a particular question that you were sort of thinking of, but um, no, I, I sort mean, of I feel yeah. several. So let's, okay. Just why don't you, no, one. no, you, no. Okay. You pick a topic. You, you go. I've, yeah. I've said you pick a question and then I'll do self-sabotage and then we'll be done. <laughs> well, okay. So I have several questions. Though. Okay. And I don't think they're going to be short answers. Okay. <laughs> you ask me, go, go, go. It's your interview. I totally okay. railroad these things. I get too excited. So I'm thinking about, because it's January, it's 2022. We're thinking probably, you know, about goal setting, maybe eating mm-hmm. healthier. I'm thinking about a couple of topics, cookbooks and um, healthy substitutes for things like mm. processed food, um, in particular, like processed sugars. Um you know, like the, I, I get kind of hung up on macronutrients versus micronutrients. I kind of go back mm-hmm. and forth with myself on this subject, um, and how to healthfully substitute those things. And mm-hmm. I just, I love cookbooks. So I collect mm-hmm. them. Like I, I would, my husband would say like, I'm a crazy cat lady. I love to <laughs> That's so cool. collect cats. I also love to collect cookbooks. So I'm wondering, yeah, what, what, what do you think about, do you have favorite sort of all of that stuff? Yeah, I guess. It's a long yeah. answer. No, no, I love it. No, no, I think I can, I can, I, yeah. So cookbook's not really, to be honest, because I'm not that much of a cook. My my partner would joke that I'm much more of an assembler. Um, You know, I'm sort of like, okay, well, I need a protein and I need this. And so I always, I'm always cooking. Like I always have food. I don't buy any of my foods. I really know, strongly believe in, in as much as possible, you know, having unprocessed foods, you know, making it myself, but I'm not a cook. He's definitely like, you know, he'll spend hours in the kitchen doing different sauces and spices and all that stuff. And I think that if that's something that you love, I think that's amazing. Um, but I personally don't have a favorite cookbook to recommend. Um, and I think my answer to like all that stuff about goals and macronutrients and micronutrients and all that stuff is, is a pretty simple answer, which is, um, don't get so caught up in optimizing the margins before you optimize the base. Meaning I think January 1st, there's so many things to think about. It's like, okay, well, I need the perfect cookbook. I need the, I need, you know, these dinners have to be perfect and I need to make sure I'm getting all my macronutrients. And I need to make sure I'm getting my vitamins and my, micronutrients. I need to like, and like perfect, perfect, perfect. It's so stressful. And the idea is like, just narrow it down. Like if you look at basically all the different diets out there, they all sort of share a core aspect to them, right? Eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, don't eat as much, very much sugar, if any, right? Like um, lots of like eat foods that you can, you know, you know, the ingredients of it. So like broccoli, the ingredient is broccoli, right? Don't have processed stuff where you're like, oh, what are these 17 ingredients? Um, drink water, um, you know, eat mindfully, don't eat in front of the TV, don't stand up and snack. Like these are all sort of what I would call the, the captain obvious um, things of health. And so often people are like kind of poo poo them because they seem too simple, but they seem they know they're not actually doing them. Right. Like, it's not like I say to them, okay, well, are you drinking water? They're like, oh yeah, I know I should drink water. But then I'm like, okay, but are you? And they're no. Right. So, <laughs> right. So it's very easy to think, well, that is too obvious to be useful. That is too easy. It's too simple, right? And so that's what I would say is this January 1st. Again, I'm not saying you can't go keto. I'm not saying you can't do Weight Watchers. I'm not like there's, I'm not a pro or con any particular diet. Um, I just think that we often go to level two nutrition before we've, we've done that level one. And so that's what I would say to people listening is like, just really try to dial down, like be really radically honest with yourself and dial down in what you think you should do and what you actually do and do what do the things like stopping when you're full have a window like time restricted eating like don't eat and not because i'm saying anybody to fast what i'm saying is like 
you know, you shouldn't be eating at 11 o'clock at night, not because it's like bad for you calorie wise, but because that's going to impede your sleep, it's going to make you want to stay up longer, right? And it's hard to get up in the morning and exercise if you didn't get a very good night's sleep. And so there's just some very basic things that are so useful when it comes to nutrition that most of us don't actually follow because they seem too easy. So um, and a really big one is just having that, that time restricted eating where you say, okay, like my dinner is done and I'm not going to eat after that because mm-hmm. so many people, they eat well all day. And then they have this like massive amount of food, like a thousand calories after dinner of, you know, drinks or cookies or ice cream. And they do like a little bit and then they go have to watch TV and then they do a little bit. And so, so yeah, so that's what I would say to all of sort of in general, all of your question can be my, the answer is summed up is don't get so worried about perfection. Don't get so, you know, if you love to cook, cook, if you love cookbooks, do cookbooks, um, you know, research that, but don't get so caught up in the, in the weeds that you, that you let go of the basics. Right. And then once you have the basics, then you can start to play around with, with more of like, okay, well, I have to make sure that I'm getting this amount of macro and like, you know, this amount of protein and this amount of carbs and get lost in the details. But for most people, you know, if you're not a figure competitor, if you're not like an Olympic athlete, that stuff is not needed in now. Right. And again, I'm just going to circle back to journaling again, because I actually think that's a really key thing that we've touched on many times that is really important is, you know, again, if you don't journal, what you're doing, how you're exercising, you're going to say to me, oh yeah, I don't eat a lot of sweets. Right. But then you journal it and you're like, oh, I had a muffin for breakfast. And that's what caffeine would deem an unhealthy, healthy food. Cause it's basically just chalked. It's just like cake shaped as a muffin. Right. So I had that for breakfast. And then I went out with some colleagues and like, yeah, I ordered a salad, but then I had, you know, dressing that was not homemade. And then I had, oh, I had some fries from that person's, you know, from the plate. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, I had a little bit of a dessert from somebody else. And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, I had all these things, even though I didn't really think that they counted because it was like nibbling. Then I got home and I was kind of hungry. And then I had like a meal while I was preparing my family's meals. So then I ended up having two dinners. But like once you journal it, you kind of see like, oh, I thought my day was good, but I did all these things that are not terrible on their own, but compounded together. Like the aggregate of all of it is going to be a day that's not necessarily going to help make you reach your goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you journal it and you can sort of see, and you don't even have to do the traditional food journal where you write down like every single thing that you eat, you can do, I I call it an X versus O journal, where if you eat um, when you're hungry and you stop when you're full and you eat foods that you can pronounce and you drink, um, drink your water uh, and limited sugar, then you just, you just put an X through the meal. Like you don't even write it down because you know that it was great. Right. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you start to pick and eat mindlessly or eat foods that have a lot of sugar or eat because you're sad or depressed, that's when you have to write it all down. So you only actually have to do the annoying part of really detailing it all when you feel that you let your emotions um, take over and sort of dictate the, the, the choices that you made. So that's another mm-hmm. alternative if you're like, I don't want to write down everything, but it just helps you be aware. Yeah. Oh, I love that suggestion. That's yeah, so it's kind of funny. Eh? Yeah, yeah, I actually I, uh, yeah. that one. So yeah, I you. like it for special. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. You're so positive. I love it. But I like it, especially for people who battled like sort of disordered eating in the past, mm-hmm. which I mean, this is a whole another topic that you and I could talk about. But that definitely was part of my, you know, 20s of disordered eating. And, and it can be not very useful if you have have that in your past to go back and like, you know, write down what well, half an apple and I had this and that can bring back a lot of unhealthy and unhappy um, thoughts and bad relationships to your, to your body. So you need to find that balance of how do I have the um, mindfulness without going down the rabbit hole of sort of shame and over analysis as well. So that's why I like that X versus O, right? The O, you know, you only write down things when you find things that you need to analyze. And otherwise you're just sort of like, okay, I was mindful. I was good. Cross it out. Yeah. So, okay. Here's my suggestion. Okay. (laughs) I think we should do a round three. I would love that. (laughs) Only because I actually feel kind of badly because I feel like I totally railroaded this conversation. I'm so excited about so many topics. So I feel like you said when we were in pre-show, you're like, I have all these questions and I don't even know. I let you ask me like two of them. So I'm really sorry. No, I think we, we overlapped on a lot and we did answer most of mine actually. So I think where we should go next when we meet is the conversation of self-sabotage in conjunction with disordered eating. 
Okay. I would love to talk about that. You know, I would like actually really love dedicated that. Dedicated yeah. hour plus. I think yeah. that's a really important topic. Um, it's something that I have personal experience with, and I know that you and I are not alone. Like so many of us struggle with this, whether yes. it's in our youth or adulthood or yes. whenever. Um, so I, that's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I'd love to hear. You I would it. love that. Yeah. And I feel like we could have a really interesting conversation because it's, it's so hard. I like there's so many people and it's just so easy to, if you've had a childhood or a time of your life where you felt shame about being overweight or uncomfortable in your body and then you lose weight and it's so easy to just like the pendulum slips way too far the other way um so i feel like that would be a really interesting conversation um and i'm very excited to be honest and open and everyone listening will have to you know i feel like it'd be yeah it'd be awesome cool well let's do it all right (laughs) okay (laughs) done i'm there i hope you enjoyed the conversation today If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or even requests for future podcast topics, please feel free to reach out to me on the social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram, Yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address, Tessa.Tovar, that's T-O-V as in Victor, A-R at iCloud.com. I love to hear from my students and I'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you. If you don't listen, I don't do this. And my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat, in particular, spreading the word outside of the studio. Thanks for tuning in and have a lovely day. Bye.